Federko steals the puck from Reinhardt. Over to Hunter, who shoots block. Wickenheiser scores! Doug Wickenheiser! The Blues pull it off, and it's unbelievable! Why not, why not Bennington? Why, I, I mean, at least say why not Huso, right? So this is a bold-ass prediction. Blues are going to take the Central. Come on, St. Louis hockey fans, stand up and cheer. Are we like Ogilvorp? Are we suspended? This our year, it's the Blues' turn now. Yeah, it's the Blues' turn now. Great shoot. He can't get it by Belfour. They can on the rebound. Now the cross. Oh man, I love that tune. Welcome to the show. This is uh, Jeff Ponder of Let's Go Blues Radio, and uh, this is the kickoff to the summer edition that I teased in our last show. Um, Tried to get some responses from you all on Twitter as to what I should name it. Some good suggestions, but I think uh, easiest is probably best, so we're calling it the Blues Let's say Talkin' Blues Summer Interview Series. That's what we're going to go with. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. I've got a lot of great guests lined up, uh, including the one that's going to be on our kickoff show here. Um, I'm very excited. Very excited to share this interview with you all. But before I get into that, I do want to uh, go ahead and give a big thanks to the creators of the song that you just heard and that you will hear throughout the summer. Uh, Let's Go Blues is the obvious name of the song, uh, co-written by Smash and Gene Ackman, famously, well, I guess regionally famously, of the Smash Band and Butchwax bands, uh, two bands that definitely uh, were playing throughout the St. Louis area in the, uh, I guess, early 2000s, early to mid-2000s, a little bit in the 90s, too. I know a lot of people probably remember uh, Smash from his days um, with, uh, I think he was with KLOU, uh, just a, a big blues fan, big St. Louis sports fan, and uh, uh, somebody that I grew up listening to, actually. My dad was a big fan, so uh, very cool to have them on board. I did speak with them, and, and they gave me full permission to use the song, so I am going to use the heck out of it. Uh, you're going to hear that a lot this summer. It's going to be in our intro it's going to be in the outro, and uh, also you will, um, uh, you can expect to hear different versions of it. Uh, this was a very long version to open this show because it's the first one, uh, but uh, it will not be this long going forward. Uh, maybe here and there I'll use that one just because it's it's kind of fun. I played it for a, a co-host of the show, Kurt Price and Bill Day, and uh, they both kind of were like, yeah, it's a it's a little long there, Jeff. Uh, so I, I have decided to make other versions, so uh, you won't have to hear that every time. But um, I don't think anyone's really going to complain. If you don't like the song, let me know, at uh, jponder94 on Twitter. But uh, just a, a great song came out in, uh, I believe it was 2001, the year the Blues made the Western Conference Final uh, against the Avalanche. And uh, just I remember being a kid and listening to that song and just thinking, uh, man, this is this is great. This is great music, and it really is. And it's accompanied by, uh, for those that are unaware, Johnny Johnson did the uh, the the keyboarding in that. And uh, if you don't know who Johnny Johnson is, and you're a St. Louisan, you're a bad St. Louisan. He is a legendary, absolutely legendary pianist. There's a a, a part of the song 
that uh, he has a, a keyboard solo, and it's it's phenomenal. Um, for those who don't know anything about Johnny Johnson, he was actually the uh, uh, pianist for Chuck Berry for a lot of, uh, of his recordings. And um, I, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but I've heard from, uh, I've read many places that Johnny Be Good was actually written about Johnny Johnson, uh, which obviously is Chuck Berry's arguably most famous song. Um, I don't even know is that is that arguable? I don't I don't think it is. That was a uh, a huge song uh, for those that love Back to the Future as I do. You know how great that song is. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a great song. And, and again, I just want to thank Smash and and Gene for letting me use it. Uh, they're going to be guests on this show sometime this summer, uh, and they're going to talk about that that awesome song that they wrote um, for that for that team in 2001. Uh, for those who want to, don't remember. They actually wrote songs about the Cardinals and, and Rams, too. I know the Rams are kind of a taboo topic right now, but uh, they, they wrote the uh, Gotta Go to Work, and um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank pennant fever. I, oh, they're going to they're gonna hear this, and, and I'm going to get a nasty email. I can't remember the name of the Cardinals one, but, um, uh, yeah, the Gotta Go to Work song, that was, I know that was at least Smash. Not sure if it was Gene or not, but uh, uh, just some great stuff for me, just nostalgia from when I was a teenager that, uh, I just love that those songs. They, uh, I remember there was a CD that came out and I bought it and I was very excited to be able to listen to that song anytime I wanted. Cause, uh, as anyone who knows me knows that was my heyday with the NHL. Uh, 2001, I always say is the best team I've ever seen. I know some disagree, say 2003 was the best team, but, um, I love that Oh one team. So, uh, that, uh, that song kind of resonates well with me in terms of, uh, my fandom of the the St. Louis Blues. Uh, so on to what this is about, why you're listening to me right now. If you made it this far, congratulations. Uh, I, I do want to say that uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of interviews, as you all know. As I said, I, I teased this uh, at the end of our, our last episode. Yeah, I, I just, uh, and, and a lot of people I know like to do interviews and, you know, what went wrong with the Blues this season, what's going to happen with the goalies next year. I'm sure that that's going to be a topic of conversation um, for, uh, you know, throughout the, the summer. But I'm doing these interviews more about the person that I'm interviewing, um, why they cover the team, for the example that uh, we'll be talking to our guest later about. And then, uh, you know, it may, if they're a Twitter personality, how they became a fan, why they are so active on Twitter. Um, you know, and just that kind of thing. I think it's important to, to get to know the people, uh, behind the words you read, uh, you know, behind the camera, uh, for, again, for the, the, the guest we'll have later here in a, in a couple minutes. And I just think it's important for, for people to get to know why these people do what they do. And for me, uh, a former journalist, I guess you could say, um, I, this is something I truly miss, truly, truly miss about doing, uh, the media, about being in, in NHL media and, and, um, uh, being on the radio and even the, the articles I used to write interviews were the best part for me. I, I like being able to just have a conversation with someone, uh, get to know their inner workings, uh, why they tick the way they tick and what they think about, you know, what's going on. Uh, currently with the organization, um, it just uh, it, it's always the most fun part for me. So uh, this is, uh, yes, I'm doing it as content for the people who like our show, but it's as much for you as it is for me. Uh, so uh, you better get used to hearing this voice because you're going to hear it a lot this summer if you want to continue to listen. So uh, on to our first guest, Andy Strickland. Uh, it's a name that I guarantee... 99% of you Blues fans listening know, I bet everyone listens to this show probably at least knows the name. Uh, Andy is the, uh, uh, the, I guess you could say the, the rink reporter. Uh, probably should have asked him what he likes to be called. but <laughs> He's the, uh, the gentleman you see uh, in between periods, um, talking to players and, and that kind of thing uh, on the Fox Sports Midwest broadcast. Uh, he's been doing that for, I believe, three years now. Um, might be longer, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's been doing a lot of the TV reporting. And before that, obviously he, um, got big, at least for me 
as a writer. Uh, he was uh, he was the former blues writer for Hockey Buzz. Uh, had his own blog, uh, TrueHockey.com, and obviously he's very active on Twitter at Andy Strickland. Um, and uh, just a, a guy that that I've actually known since I started in the media in 2011. Also want to mention real quick uh, that he does have a radio show that you need to listen to. People always say there needs to be more hockey coverage in St. Louis. Well, how do you get the coverage better? Listen to what's out there now. Let the audience continue to grow and uh, uh, support any hockey show that that you deem to be a, a great show. And, and if you haven't heard Andy's show, Hockey Sense, it's, uh, it's on 590 The Fan. Uh, from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. every Friday. Uh, Jamal Mayers joins him uh, every now and then. Uh, I don't think it's every show. And uh, it's, a, it's a great show. I mean, Andy is a, a great hockey mind, and I'm not just saying that because I've known him for so long and because he's agreed to come on our podcast. Um, just a, a smart, intelligent hockey fan. I say fan uh, because he's, he's a fan of the game, um, you know, Obviously, he grew up in St. Louis, a uh, Blues fan growing up, played hockey his whole life, but he's just a fan and a student of the game, and uh, you can see it in anything. If, if you can find anything he's written in the past, you can just see the passion gushing out from him. Um, always been a, a, a great supporter of the game. He's a, he's a great uh, interview. He's, he's great at what he does. Um, is again, his radio show is fantastic. And I, I we kind of get into it a little bit, uh, here about, uh, his, his old writing, but I miss him writing. He was a great writer, uh, that, uh, you know, kind of gave a little more insight into what was going on with the organization, with the NHL, even with the game. Um, but, uh, obviously his obl- obligations at, uh, uh, Fox Sports Midwest kind of restrict that to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, He's fantastic. Uh, does a does a great job there at FSM, and again, uh, his radio show on 590 The Fan. Um, so I've been talking about how great he is, um, and I'm sure if he's listening, he's probably going, "Oh, come on, man, uh, knock it off." Well, I'm not done yet. Uh, there's a couple things that happened, especially with this recording. So uh, last week, um, the we uh, first week of May, we had uh, uh, talked over the phone. I had recorded. The interview um, on an app that I have used for five years now, never given me an issue. We talked for 40 minutes, and the one time, the one time that it craps out on me is when I have Andy on. Uh, I told him a couple times that he's, I guess he's my kryptonite, um, because uh, I've even talked to a couple people since then, no issues with that app. Uh, so, um, I was, was bummed after because he, he talks in depth about so many great things, um, that happened in his career, uh, the Mike Danton situation. He talks about Eric Brewer. We get into it about prospects, uh, his time in college, how he got into blues media, just some great stuff. And I lost almost all of it. It recorded about eight to nine minutes of the 40-minute conversation. So I was pretty bummed. I texted him, and almost instantly uh, he responded and said, yeah, let's shoot for a time next week. We can do it again. Um, Very cool of him. Um, That's not anything that you expect out of a person you interview. I mean, he already took 40 minutes out of his day to talk with me, and uh, and he ended up uh, agreeing to basically do the exact same interview again. So um, just want to uh, say that uh, that was very cool of Andy to do, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, I know he knows how, uh, how much it means to me that he was able to take time out of his day again and, um, and uh, do that interview again. Uh, and I will say, as I said earlier, that um, we did work in the media together. Um, when I first started, I was with 1380 which, uh, AM, which was the sister station to 590, and uh, Andy was also with 590 at the time, and he uh, actually sat right next to me. So um, just want to tell a little quick story about uh, Andy, how we got to know each other. So my first time in the press box, I was nervous, just as you could imagine. Um, I sat down, I saw the names that I've read articles, heard on the radio, and uh, I just kind of said, you know, I'm just going to sit here, I'm going to do the best I can to report tonight, 
but I'm gonna, you know, kind of take it chill, just kind of take it all in, learn the ropes, and, you know, within a couple weeks, I'll, you know, feel a little more comfortable asking questions to players and, and all that. So Andy comes and sits down, we had never met before, and uh, instantly says, you a new guy? And I said, yes, I am. He shakes my hand, introduces himself. Obviously, I, I knew who he was already, but uh, and he had heard of me because of the radio show. I was uh, I was coming on a couple times a week to uh, do their blues reports, um, and uh, so we talked for a little bit. And and uh, he said, first time in the press box, and I said, yes, sir, it is. And he said, all right, let me give you a couple pointers. And um, he he gave me so many great pointers that you know, I, I at first I was thinking about. Happy Gilmore, um, with how he, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Shooter McGavin uh, tells him to meet him on the, was it the, the 18th green for um, uh, the special meeting of the mines, and then he ends up, uh, you know, getting the sprinklers turned in on him. I was thinking that in the back of my head. I'm like, is he just messing with the new guy? Everything he said was genuine. It was very helpful, and I just, uh, I really appreciated everything he did. Uh, we'll get to the interview, but uh, just want to say that that Andy is um, he really is a genuinely good person, uh, great man to have on the show here, and I'm I'm more than happy to have him on our first episode of this uh, summer interview series. Uh, we discuss his career, uh, as I said, Mike Danton, Eric Brewer, prospects, Billy Huso, uh, and so much more. So uh, sit back, settle in. And uh, be prepared for Andy Strickland and my interview on the St. Louis Blues. All right, this is Jeff Ponder of Let's Go Blues Radio. Uh, I am joined today by a very special guest to the show. Uh, he's been covering the Blues since 1999. A, uh, he, he's currently with Fox Sports Midwest. I'm sure you've seen him there. You probably remember reading stuff of his online. You also may have heard him on 590 The Fan, KFNS, uh, which he hosts the Hockey Sense uh, show uh, Fridays 1 to 3. Uh, his name is Andy Strickland. Thanks for joining us, Andy. All good. Great to be here, Jeff. How are you? Very, very good. Uh, so let's get right into it, Andy. Um, first thing I want to talk to you about, kind of your past, where you came from, and that starts really for you in college. Northern Arizona University is where you went. You played D2 hockey with the Ice Jacks. Um, so what was competition like for you, and, and what kind of player were, were you when you were playing with the Ice Jacks? And I grew up playing for, you know, playing playing local hockey here in St. Louis for years and years. And, you know, that's where I developed my passion for the game and, and still have the, the same passion today. You know, um, at NAU, you know, it was interesting. It was club hockey. It was it was the highest level of club, club hockey at the time. It was Division One club hockey, and and back in the day, they had a D1 program for years um, that was NCAA sanctioned. Um, they had some pretty good players who actually came out of there. They had uh, Craig Adams, who uh, led the nation in scoring back in the early 80s. I think they were the number one ranked team at one point in time back in the early 80s as well. So they had a good thing going, and um, you know, financially, they just couldn't support the program. Um, and they had to shut it down, but they supported the club program, and uh, you know, having the Arizona Coyotes in the same state, even though it was an hour and a half south, they supported the program, and and uh, you know, the Coyotes would hold their training camp up in Flagstaff. The Arizona Cardinals held their training camp for years up in Flagstaff as well, up in the higher altitude, and so there was a good relationship there. But we played in the Rocky Mountain Collegiate Hockey League, and we flew pretty much everywhere because of. Uh, the weather, I mean, you know, you're, it's going to be hard to get to University of Colorado or Colorado State or Utah or Utah State with the weather. So we were forced to fly, which was obviously a good thing. And the competition wasn't bad. I mean, we had a number of players uh, on our team that, that could, could play that were sprinkled from all over the place, I mean, all over North America. We had Canadians, we had international players actually on the team as well who came from uh, European countries. We had a number of players who came from Alaska and certainly uh, sprinkled from throughout the United States. So, a uh, good group of guys. Some of the, you know, teammates I had there are still pretty good friends of mine even to this day. So, I enjoyed my time, you know, playing there. It's a much different situation than the kids, you know, today. You know, growing up having NHL legends be their head coach and certainly the reach and the opportunity these kids have 
uh, is far superior and greater than the opportunity we had back in the day growing up in St. Louis and playing hockey. But uh, St. Louis hockey has come along so far, and um, you know I was you know obviously privileged to be able to play as a young kid and and uh, still continue to be involved with the sport today. So, uh, brag on yourself a little bit. You were a forward, uh, center, right wing, from from what I can account for. And uh, uh, were you? What was your game? What what kind of game did you play? And and uh, were you the goal scorer for the team? I was a goal scorer. You know, I I, I like to make plays as well. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of a player to compare myself or who I'd want to compare myself to in today's game. And and you know, I think of a guy like Tyler Johnson, who was a smaller player, who was skilled, who could certainly score. He could skate. And he wore number nine. That was always my number, Jeff. So that's why I always try to say, hey, I compare myself to Tyler Johnson, who's a right shot. Philip Forsberg, a right shot. Uh, these guys are two of my favorite players to watch in the game today. And, um, you know, certainly exciting offensive players. But, you know, I like to score goals. I mean, there's no doubt. And, uh, you know, always had, you know, above average hands. I thought above average hockey sense, too. I mean, just, you know, the skating wasn't wasn't great. But, you know, I was a fast skater, but not a great skater. Um and uh, and love the game, you know. More importantly, I just love going to the game, uh, to the rink every every day for practice or game or whatever it was. I just I just love playing hockey. And if I wasn't at the rink, I was playing in my driveway. I was playing street hockey with buddies, playing in the garage. Uh, you know, my mom has the holes in her garage to prove it. You know, I mean, I just basically destroyed her entire garage growing up, <laughs> just shooting pucks in there every single day. But uh, you couldn't get me away from the game if I wasn't playing it. Like I said, either at practice or or at home, I was watching hockey reading about hockey and uh and certainly developed a, a passion for the game and, and fell in love with the game at a young age so um but yeah i mean in terms of describing my game i was a guy who could, who could score goals you know i played high school hockey here as well for parkway north finished in the top 10 and scoring a couple of times there so um you know that was at a time where everybody played uh high school hockey now you have a lot of the top players who uh not all of them play high school hockey because the schedule with the triple a schedule is it's so strenuous. You're out of town all the time. You're playing so many games that you know you don't need to play high school hockey. You know, back in when I was you know growing up, Jeff, you wanted to play high school hockey too because it gave you an opportunity to get on the ice more. But now they're on the ice three, four, five times a week. Even uh, they have individual skill instructors. They've got strength coaches. I mean, they're at the rink all the time. They don't have to play college or high school hockey to feel like they you know just to get on the ice to touch the puck. Although I do think there's something that, that positive that comes with it. I like the kids that do play high school hockey. Uh, Mid-States High School Hockey has been a great league for a long time in St. Louis. And there's something to be said for being able to play in front of your peers and family and, and represent your school. I think it's very cool, the kids that do that. Uh, so you've actually been able to translate your game into being a coach for the under-15 uh, AAA Blues. Well, how how hard was that transition? Uh, obviously, you know, we've seen guys uh, in NHL be able to make the transition. But for you, uh, a high school, college player, moving into coaching, uh, what was that like for you? Well, I always knew I wanted to stay involved in the game. And so coaching um, was going to be an opportunity. And, and I'll never forget, Jeff, the first time I went on the ice to help with the team, I was on the ice with Basil McCray. And I messed up a drill, and he made me do a lap. <laughs> in front of all the kids. And I said, wow, this is the way it's going to go. But it was all in good fun. And um, now Basil McCray, by the way, of all the coaches I've been around, there's been some great coaches here locally. You think about Al McKinnis and Jeff Brown and Keith Kachuk, a lot of these guys who played for the Blues. I mean, there's some other great coaches as well who weren't NHL players, like a Scott Sanderson, for example. I just coached with Jordan James this past year with the U15 AAA Blues. I mean, these guys are good hockey coaches. Um, but John Roger was a very good friend of mine. I grew up. You know, knowing him for years, you know, we played for rival high schools and, and rival club teams as well um, growing up. But, um, you know, he kind of got into coaching at the same time that I did. And we coached together for three years. He's now coaching junior hockey out in Philadelphia. After being John Cooper's assistant for a year or two with the Bandits here, then he went on to Green Bay in the USHL with, with John Cooper and, and uh, ended up being a head coach in the USHL and the North American League. But he's had a good little coaching career. Uh, just from, you know, coaching at Chesterfield, Central State, um, midget team, where we had some good players who played for us, uh, who played Central State, who, you know, some of these guys have found their way to the National Hockey League, like a Scotty Mayfield, for example, but we had a number of players, Dominic Zombo, who played Division One hockey, who's playing pro, TJ Schleter, who um, played D1 hockey, uh, 
Michael Hunterbrinker who played D1 hockey. I mean, we had all these guys who played D1 hockey, and a bunch of these guys are playing pro, albeit at a, at a lower level, but they're playing pro hockey. So, and then I moved on to the AAA Blues, and you know, I've been with the AAA Blues for about 15 years now. Coach was Scott Sanderson for 10 or 11 with the U18 midget team. Um, I've been with the 94 group back when they were younger. I was with the 99 group when they were younger as well. Um, and this past year, went down to the U15 age group and really enjoyed coaching with them. And next year, I'll be with the U14s with the 2004 group. So again, you bounce around a little bit, but it's been great getting to know uh, to know all the different hockey families here in the area, and certainly a lot of the great coaches and and some of the best players to ever come out of St. Louis. Uh, I've had the the privilege to be around, you know, uh, throughout their minor hockey career, which has been a lot of fun. So moving more into your professional uh, career as uh, uh, well, the work you've done for covering the Blues, you leave college, you leave NAU, uh, come back to St. Louis. Um, what was the first thing you had to do to get involved in the media, and, and how did that uh, kind of transpire going forward? Well, the first job I got was at CAMOX. First off, I was an intern, and I, I lead the country in, in, uh, in, in non-paying jobs, Jeff. And I did more work where I never got paid. Um, and I would put that up against anybody, to be honest, because I did it for years. Uh, you know, I, 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 I did a ton of work where I wasn't getting paid, but, you know, it was all worth it in the end, I think, you know, just in terms of paying your dues. You know, I came up at a time, and it wasn't that long ago, but where you really had to pay your dues. Um, and I was a producer for a long time at KMOX, but I started as an intern, and they offered me a job after I graduated. I still had to go back to Northern Arizona University to finish out my, my school. I had another uh, semester to go. But, I, but they told me when I come back, I had a job waiting for me. And we had a great sports department at the time with Bernie Nicholas, who was there. He actually came came on um, a little ap- after I got there. You know, Randy Carricker was the lead sports over line uh, um, host at the time. He ended up leading. Bernie Nicholas came on board. But I was the lead um, you know, producer for our sports department for 10 years or so and uh, produced sports over line. Um, Monday through Friday, sports on a Sunday morning. On Sunday with Ron Jacober, we started the Tony La Russa uh, radio show on Sunday mornings, which was really cool to work as close with Tony as we did. Um, and I did everything as much as I could for Campbell X. I mean, I was at the ballpark uh, as much as I possibly could be. I ran the board for road games. I was at the at the ballpark for home games. Um, you know. I, I would say 90% of the home games, I was there from, you know, 2000 to 2015, you know. I mean, I was there all the time. Um, but I would cover, you know, press conferences and just about anything. And then I got hired by the Missouri River Otters uh, to be their color analyst. And I had a couple of different uh, stints with the Missouri River Otters. First came on board around 2000, shortly after they came to St. Louis. I was the color, color analyst for a couple of seasons eventually left and then came back during the lockout in 2004-2005. You know, they uh, they signed Barrett Jackman and Jamal Mayers and Ryan Johnson and Bryce Salvador, and they hired me on the same day to do their to do their radio, um, you know, during the lockout. So at least I got to be involved with the game a little bit over the course of the lockout in 2004-2005. But, you know, I dabbled in everything. But it was around 99-2000 when I got to KMOX that I really started to to wanted to, you know, you know, carve out my niche as a hockey guy here in St. Louis. And I remember meeting with Tom Langmeyer, who was the general manager at KMOX at the time, and we sat in his office and he said, you know, I just don't think hockey is a big enough sport where people are going to have enough interest in it to really, truly cover it the way you want to cover it. And, and I disagreed with that, and, and he said, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And I just said, I want to be the go-to guy for, for hockey coverage in St. Louis. And he said, well, if that's what you want, then go do it. And so I, I left that meeting with a lot of motivation and kind of the green light to cover the Blues. And I was at practice every single day, certainly at every home game, and um, watching the team closely and um, develop relationships with a number of players and a number of players who I still talk to on a daily basis or at least a weekly basis even today and develop relationships with people inside the Blues organization and agents around the league and started to go to league events like All-Star Games and Stanley Cup Finals and um, – the World Cup of Hockey back in 2004. They had a 10-day training camp in Columbus, which I covered, and started working for various websites, uh, more so on the radio side, and then began writing back in 2005 or so 
on, on HockeyBuzz.com, which I left a few, year, a few years after that and created my own website, which no longer exists now, and here I am talking to you today, Jeff. <laughs> well, this is the pinnacle of your career, talking to me, so there yeah, you go. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you had a, uh, developed a lot of personal relationships in your time. Uh, it will still, to this day, developing relationships with players. One of those guys was back in uh, the 2003-2004 season, Mike Danton. And, uh, of course, I say that name, and I know Blues fans are, are kind of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that whole thing. Uh, you were kind of at the forefront of that. You uh, you were one of the ones that kind of broke a lot of the information that came out of that, that case. And, um, you know, for you, being a hockey guy, as you said, you wanted to be the go-to guy for hockey, but now you're moving into something where you're in a, a murder-for-hire case and, and uh, like I said, just somebody you know, somebody who you're friends with, who built a personal relationship with. Um, what was that like for you as, as a reporter? Well, first off, let me take you back to the draft in 2003, and this is one of the best drafts in the history of the National Hockey League. Uh, John Ferguson Jr. was actually working for the Blues at the time, and that's when the rumors began to swirl about him becoming the next GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, which he eventually took the job. He's also the last GM to ever win a playoff round in Toronto, by the way. People forget that. Yeah. That includes Brian Burke, who is there, obviously, and certainly includes uh, Lou Amarillo and whoever ends up taking over, whether it's going to be Kyle Dubas or whatever. But um, um, but there were some great players drafted. Uh, David Backus was taken in the second round. The Blues took Sean Bell in the first round. But I'll never forget when we got word that the Blues were trading or made a trade with the New Jersey Devils to bring – Mike Danton on board, and I began to talk to people around um, Nashville who were there at the draft, people who were involved with teams, and certainly people who were involved with the New Jersey Devils, trying to get as much information as possible possible about who Mike Danton was, and I mean, people's eyes just lit up, and they had one story after another, and he was suspended from the Devils that previous year for a good chunk of the season, Um, and you know, obviously he was looking for a fresh start. And I remember doing an interview on KMOX from the draft, and they said, hey, tell us about this Mike Danton. He seems to be like a guy who, you know, likes to, you know, stir it up a little bit and, and you know, drop the gloves now and then. And I said, you know, from what I hear from people around here, he, he may drop the gloves with the head coach, with Joel Quimbo, for all I know. I mean, I don't know. And people kind of paint an interesting picture about him. But I really enjoyed covering Mike as a player and got to know him in his only season that he played here. I thought he was a very interesting kid. I thought he was funny. Um, everyone liked to be around him. You know, he was just kind of one of the boys. But the life he was living away from the rink was completely different. And, you know, this is a situation where I really believe in, in, in my heart that he saw the rest of his teammates living out their dream, playing in the National Hockey League, and they had so much freedom away from the rink. And I think he just kind of envied that, and he wanted that for himself as well. And he couldn't get that because of his relationship with his agent, who was his childhood coach, eventually his junior coach, and um, was just kind of stuck in a terrible situation and didn't know how to get out. But, you know, I was the first person to get a live interview with David Frost, uh, the individual he was accused of trying to to have killed, who who was also his agent. Um, And I talked to David for, I mean, every single day for months and months and months. But the first person to do a live interview with him, uh, the first live interview um, with his biological father, Steve Jefferson, his biological mother, Sue Jefferson, his brother, and a number of the other, you know, characters, if you will, who were involved in this whole situation. You know, he played junior hockey for a junior team called the Quinty Hawks in in uh, Canada, and there are a number of players who were living with David Frost at the time, and I was talking to all of these guys, and they would even call me with information on a number of different occasions as well although I don't know how much of what they were saying was actually coming from them or coming from David. But regardless, um, I spent a good chunk of that year from 2004 to 2005 in a courtroom covering both the Mike Danton case and also uh, Katie Wolfmeyer, who was the, the teenage girl who was involved, who was in a relationship with Mike, who was also um, charged with uh, conspiracy to have uh, David Frost uh, killed. And, you know, she was found not guilty and developed a relationship with her family as well and got hired by a radio and TV station up in Toronto to cover the case. And I was going back and forth from Toronto to St. Louis and on Toronto radio, which 
which was also televised. It was a simulcast called Leafs Lunch, hosted by Jeff Merrick, who now works for Hockey Night in Canada for Sportsnet and does a podcast with Elliot Friedman. We were working so closely together, um, and, uh, and Bill Waters was his co-host, who's a longtime media personality and former assistant general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he and I still talk to this day and have developed a really close friendship. So um, just an interesting, interesting case, and to be able to do this at such a young age. I mean, there was one point in time, I got a letter, Jeff, from Mike Danton from, from jail, and it was the lead story on Channel 5. I'll never forget being at Camel X at the time. I got a call from a Channel 5 producer, said, hey, we want you here at ASAP. We go live at 10 o'clock. And I said, I'm wearing T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. He said, it doesn't matter, just get here. <laughs> and I, I rushed down to Channel 5, and it was the lead story on, on, on KSDK, and they gave me a sport coat. And somebody, I don't know whose it was, but they gave it to me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, read a little bit of the letter that Mike Danton had sent me from jail. So... Uh, it was interesting. I, I truly enjoyed it. I love the challenge of competing with a number of other media members, including a lot of veteran uh, media people from both, you know, who locally uh, throughout the country and also in Canada who are fighting for the same information. Um, and just the challenge and the uh, adrenaline rush that came with tracking down a lot of the pieces uh, to the puzzle was was very interesting. And it's probably something I'll never ever. Uh, see again in my career. I don't know if we'll ever cover a case like that again, Jeff. Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're probably right. Yeah. So, uh, um, kind of moving on as as you uh, as we said, you've covered this team for since 1999. Now, coming up on your 20th season, I, I believe that's how the math works. Yeah. Um, you uh, you also a, a large span of that was the years Blues fans like to forget. Uh, and that was the years of uh, Eric Johnson getting drafted number one, and uh, just obviously all the, uh, the the bad stuff that comes with uh, with with that five six year span. But uh, on top of that was Eric Brewer. Uh, he was kind of the face of the franchise when he was given the C, um, and obviously the the uh, the big piece in the Chris Pronger trade. Um, you had actually a, a couple articles out at the time. I believe you were with Hockey Buzz. Uh, they kind of came to his defense um, against the fans and and their uh, seeming hatred for him. Um, you know, was that something you felt like you had a good relationship with Eric and, and you knew that you kind of wanted to tell his side of the story? Or uh, was it something you just felt like you, you kind of had to do uh, being a reporter for the team? Well, no. I mean, I wasn't a reporter for the team at all. I mean, I was working on my own. I could say whatever I want. And people who followed me back then realized that I did on most occasions, you know, and you know, I wasn't going to sugarcoat anything. Uh, Eric Brewer wasn't a terrible hockey player. I mean, he represented Canada in the World Cup prior to coming here, and he was put in a bad situation where he was traded for Chris Pronger. I didn't like the trade. You know, Chris Pronger is one of those players who I mentioned, you know, who I've developed a, a friendship with, a relationship with, who you, you get to know really well. And I'll never forget when he called me to tell me he was going to Edmonton. It was late at night. It was close to midnight when he when, when the phone rang and told me he was going to Edmonton. I couldn't believe it. You know, and Eric Brewer is a pretty big name at the time. He wasn't going to be able to fill Chris Pronger's shoes. But, you know, you didn't feel like the Blues were completely getting hosed in the deal um, until Brewer played and he struggled and the team wasn't very good. And, you know, whenever you're replacing a future Hall of Fame player who will won a Norris Trophy and an MVP, then obviously you're going to be held to a standard. And uh, I don't think he, he could you know, handle the pressure and the expectations very well. I don't think he enjoyed the transition and the adjustment to playing here. I think that was difficult for him. But what I found that was interesting about Eric Brewer was the fact that he was so respected by his teammates inside the locker room. And he was well-liked, and he was a pretty good guy. You know, he wasn't a terrible player. Um, and his last year that he played here, you know, he actually showed some flashes, right? The team was even considering, hey, do we, do we keep him? Do we re-sign him, or do we move him? Right. So they moved him to Tampa Bay, and, you know, he ended up signing a, a nice extension with the Lightning, and he had a strong playoff and was a big part of that team going on to the conference final. So he wasn't a terrible hockey player. He dealt with some injuries. And did he play his best hockey here with the Blues? No, he did not. I mean, there were times where he really struggled, and he didn't help his own cause. But I also feel like, you know, hey, there's, there's players who are good. There's players who aren't very good. And, and, and he, he belongs in the category who is pretty good. This guy played 1,000 games in the National Hockey League. Was he a superstar or, all, or an all-star player here for the Blues? No, he was not. But, um, you know, it just so happens to be a situation that he was stuck into being traded for Chris Pronger. He was never going to be Pronger. 
but I don't think he was as good as people had hoped he would be, but he certainly wasn't as bad as people made him out to be. So kind of moving into uh, talking about today's team and uh, the future for the organization. Uh, Now we've been speaking, obviously, to uh, Andy Strickland, the Fox Sports Midwest analyst. Um, I want to speak to more Andy Strickland, the coach. Um, When I ask you about the top three prospects for the Blues, Jordan Cairo, Clem Costin, and Robert Thomas, uh, Doug Armstrong's been pretty vocal that at least one of those guys will probably be making the team next year. If it does just come down to one, Who's your money on? Well, I don't think there's any question that it's Robert Thomas. I think he'll at least get a nine-game tryout. I mean, he's currently playing in the OHL Finals. Uh, they're up two games to one right now on, on, on Sault Ste. Marie. So, um, you know, they're expected to win that series and then move on to the Memorial Cup. I'm not so sure he needs to go back for a fourth year in the Ontario Hockey League next year. The problem is you can't send him to the American League because of his age. You'll have the luxury of being able to do that with Jordan Cairo. He can at least play in the American League. And, listen, he's going to get an opportunity as well in training camp to make a push. And it's what they do with it that matters. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, he should make the team. But if they don't perform in training camp or in the preseason, then it doesn't matter what we say. At the end, they've got to be able to show up and, and, uh, and earn a spot. But I think the fact that Thomas plays center, you know, will give him an advantage over the other two guys. You know, Clint Carson's going to be a good player. You know, he's got a temper. He plays angry. Um... But he's also got some skill. He's a big kid. He's strong. You know, he was 18 years of age playing in the American Hockey League. You're not even eligible to play until you're 20 if you're a North American player. But the fact that he came over from Europe, he didn't have a contract, or at least a contract that expired with his team folding in the in the K, in the KHL, allowed him to come over here and play in the American Hockey League as, I think, the youngest player in that league. And it's not easy to play in the American League. I mean, you talk to veteran players who play in that league, and they'll tell you how difficult it is. You've got guys who are running around, uh, frustrated players who are veterans who know that their opportunity, um, that the window is closed for their opportunity to make it to the National Hockey League. It's, it's difficult. And there's a lot of good players down there as well. Um, and I think he's got a lot of upside. I really do. I mean, people look at the stats only and say, well, he scored six goals in his first year in the American Hockey League. You can't just go by that because of his age and also the role that he had on the team. I think it'll change a little bit next year, a lot actually, with the Blues being able to control their American Hockey League affiliate. And uh, and again, he'll make a push in training camp as well. So we'll see how that all plays out. I don't want to shut the door on Costin making the team uh, next season, although he probably needs a little more time down in the American Hockey League. I think Cairo needs time in the American Hockey League. Uh, you look at Jake DeBrusque, who had a nice playoff for the Boston Bruins. You know, he played a full season in the American League. You know, Cairo was a second-round pick. He wasn't even a first-round pick. There's nothing wrong with playing in the American League if you need a little bit of seasoning and time to develop. I mean, the NHL is hard, and the Blues expect to improve their roster this summer. Um, Doug Armstrong expects to be very active. In fact, I think this is going to be one of the most exciting and interesting off-seasons that the Blues have had in years. And it's going to be interesting to see how different this team looks heading into training camp versus the way it looked uh, in the final game of the season in Colorado just a few weeks ago. Um, but, you know, those three players are really good. And, and Billy Huso is another kid who no one really talks about um, who's got true number one goaltending potential. I mean, he is that good. He's got the demeanor. He's got the skill, the combination to be a really good goalie. I'm not a goalie coach by any means, but obviously when you see him play, and uh, and he has so much upside. And, you know, I don't expect him to be here when the season begins, but it wouldn't shock me if he's here when the season ends next year. And he'll certainly make his NHL debut at some point next season. And they think he's got number one potential down the road. Um, and, and he'll push Jake Allen. I think he'll make Jake Allen better. I really do. Um, you know, Carter Hutton obviously has proven to be a good teammate and a good, uh, you know, tandem for, for Jake Allen. But... So maybe Huso will even push Jake a little more, knowing that the threat of Huso taking his job um, is a little more realistic than Carter Hutton taking his job. You know, Hutton obviously being an older player, you know, was signed here as the backup. I think everyone always viewed him as the backup. You know, Huso's going to be a completely different situation than, than Carter Hutton once things get going. But, again, I've never seen a goalie, and, and you've heard NHL executives say this forever, stay in the minors too long, but you see them be brought up too quickly, and I don't think the Blues are in any rush to get Huso here. He's probably not excited to, if he if he were to hear that because he wants to be here now. He thinks he's ready. He's representing Finland uh, at the World Championships right now. 
and he probably is ready, but at the end of the day, they want him to play, and there's no point in having him here and be the backup behind Jake Allen when he could be playing and getting valuable experience down in the American Hockey League. So I would think that he'll start the year down there. But those are your four top prospects right now in the Blues organization. The biggest question, Jeff, will be, are they all going to be members of the Blues once training camp rolls around? Because obviously Doug Armstrong uh, will have some options. I think he'll be busy in the trade market. And if he's making trades, it's not just going to be roster players that will be going the other way. It's going to be picks, but obviously prospects could be involved as well, depending on who the player coming this way is. Uh, one more quick question about the Blues, uh, just because I know every fan is expecting me to ask you this. John Tavares, is there any chance that actually happens this summer? Well, I'm going to tell you this right now. Uh, there's a far greater chance than people realize. And absolutely, there's a chance. I mean, John Tavares wants to win. And if you can prove as an organization that you have a chance to win, um, then he's going to listen. I mean, nowadays, I mean, obviously different teams can, can structure their deals differently through signing bonuses and whatever. And the Blues and Doug Armstrong are not too excited about signing bonuses. Um, but, you know, everyone's going to be in the same ballpark in terms of the money that's going to be offered and the term that they're able to offer. Um, so you can't go beyond seven years, right, unless you do a sign and trade. But um, uh, I think there's a far greater chance. In fact, uh, he's got relationships with players on the team, um, with a guy like uh, Alex Petrangelo, but also Braden Shen. You know, Braden Shen's girlfriend and John Tavares' wife, I believe, are very close friends. I think Shen spent last summer training in Toronto with Tavares. So you have some relationships there. That never hurts. Um, and we'll see what else plays out in terms of the potential of any other New York Islander staff members find their way to St. Louis this summer. This summer. We'll see what happens in terms of what goes on there. But um, will he end up signing in St. Louis? I can't say that. I, I have no idea. Um, Nobody knows. But I, would, but I wouldn't shut the door on it either, and I think the Blues' chances are certainly stronger than most people may realize. Awesome. Well, Andy, it's uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned on the show before that you were uh, one of the guys who uh, were really kind of welcoming to me when I was in the media when I first joined and uh, kind of showed me the ropes. You know, no applauding. I remember it was one of the first things you told me. Um, so, uh, no, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Andy. I, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, please uh, tell our listeners um, how they can interact with you on social media and where they can hear your show on uh, 590 The Fan. Well, at Andy Strickland is my Twitter account, and that's the best way to um, to communicate with me, obviously, through Twitter, at Andy Strickland, pretty easy there. And then my hockey show, Hockey Sense, which I co-host with Jamal Mayers. He joins me a couple days a month, a couple weeks a month, I should say, because I did the hockey show on Fridays at 1 o'clock on 590 The Fan. We do it live from the Spider House, although we'll be moving to a new location that we'll announce in a couple of weeks, and we'll be at that location starting up on June 1st, so we look forward to that. Um, so 1 o'clock, you can listen to me on 590 The Fan. I join Frank Cuthamano every Friday morning on 590 The Fan. I join Martin Kilcoin every Wednesday on 590 The Fan, so I'm on there a good three, four days a week, obviously on Fox Sports Midwest, uh, working with some of the best in the business. And you talk about learning and, and being around guys like Darren Pang and John Kelly and Bernie Federico for the last five years. It's taught me so much. And it's it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me personally is just to be able to uh, work that closely with those individuals on a daily basis and um, be involved with the NHL television broadcast. It's been a lot of fun and probably even more than I even realized. And I knew it would be fun, but those guys are first class all the way, so it's a lot of fun. So you can obviously catch me on Fox Sports Midwest as well during the hockey season, Jeff. Um, so would you say TV is your favorite medium to do the reporting? Uh, well, I love doing radio and, and I love writing as well, you know, but television is certainly different. I think the adrenaline rush of being involved, um, on television during an actual game, during the competition, I think that's what separates the other things for me, because, you know, when I'm on the radio, it's not during the course of the game, you know, but to be involved with the television broadcast during the game, um, is completely different. And, I, and I'll say this, too. I mean, people don't realize all the work that goes on behind the scenes. You know, a guy like Timmy Pabst, who's a longtime producer, he's been producing blues hockey for over 20 years. I mean, this guy 
just has a wealth of knowledge in terms of teaching you television. The director, Phil Malika, has done national broadcasts like Darren Pang has and, and, and Timmy Pass and JK. These guys have, have so much experience. They just teach you television. And I think that's kind of what I did the first couple of years on Fox. I was learning television. And uh, you're always learning, but those guys made it a lot easier for me. I'll tell you that. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Andy. I appreciate you coming on the show. All right, Jeff. Anytime, man. We'll talk soon. Well, I'm sure you heard a little cut there towards the end of the interview. Uh, that was the cut between the second try at the interview and the first. So uh, I didn't want to have to ask him the same questions that I already had. So I figured, well, with the the magic of audio editing, I will just uh, splice the interviews together. So um, that's why the, the uh, sound probably changed there a little bit uh, with about nine minutes left. So, uh, again, uh, I want to thank Andy for coming on. Um, it was a lot of fun catching up with him and talking to him about his career, how far he's come, and then obviously um, discussing the Blues and, and just his time covering them and, and uh, you know, what he's seen and what he's witnessed and what he's been through. So, very cool uh, to have Andy on. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, so, make sure you uh, uh, tune in for our next show, um, which uh, will be out next week. Um, the, uh, I believe the week of the 14th could be wrong on that, but, uh, the next week I will be interviewing, uh, the gentleman who runs the STL blues history account. Um, good friend of mine, guy that I've known for a couple of years. Um, we have some, uh, great conversation. Uh, I've already conducted it obviously since I already know what we talk about. Uh, but, uh, a lot of fun. I was able to meet him at his house and, uh, look forward to being able to release that out to you and uh, for you to take a listen to why he started the STL Blues History Twitter account, which has become a fixture on this show. Make sure that you rate us on iTunes. Uh, we were looking just a couple weeks ago and noticed we don't have a lot of ratings on there. We don't really push for that often. So I do ask that if you can and if you like us, Give us a five-star rating there on iTunes. We'd uh, we'd love to hear what you think, um, whether you like it or dislike it. We do want to know. So uh, give us a rating there on iTunes um, and uh, at Google Play, whatever you listen to, uh, wherever you listen to the show would be great. Uh, make sure you follow all of us on Twitter. Uh, obviously, the show Twitter is at LGB Radio. Uh, our other hosts that uh, are not present in this uh, summer series, but uh, give them a follow anyway, at Kurt Price and at Billy Blue Note for Bill Day. Uh, and then I am at jponder94. And you can also find Let's Go Blues Radio on Facebook. So make sure you join our group page there. Again, want to thank Andy for coming on. Uh, again, had a lot of fun there and Look forward to uh, continuing this series. And again, I hope everybody enjoyed listening to it. Uh, So I will talk to you next time. Thanks again, and let's go Blues.